two criteria that I, I try and, and meet. One is, is it a story that's fun? And that really just means, is there a story that has characters that we're going to love and be invested in, who go on the journey that we care about, that has stakes, that will somehow be paid off? And is it a movie or series worth making? Will people actually show up? And so if, if it's a story worth telling and a series worth making, that's when I try and go for it. Hi, this is Glenn Berger, and you're on the road with Dane on WGN. 720 WGN, high atop Chicago in the Skyline studio. Excited to have on the line with us creator, writer, executive producer for the Netflix docuseries, The Final Flight. It is out now. Of course, Oscar-winning documentary, Undefeated, Showbiz Kids, so many more, and the hit Netflix series, Dogs That Our Family, is enjoying right now, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, so we are not alone. Excited and honored to have the one and only Glenn Zipper on. Glenn, welcome to WGN. I'm happy to be here, and I'm very concerned about the 8% of people out there that didn't like dogs. What's what is wrong with, with those? Those are the cat they people. They must be cat people. Cat people, cat people. Well, no, you got to carve out some space for the cats, you know, and who knows with the range of stuff that you've done, maybe cats is in the future, but you've done so many different things, music, sports, social issues, history, but let's, let's talk a little bit about dogs because, and for the listeners that have not checked it out, it is on Netflix. Again, you are not alone. And if you're part of that 8%, come on, get with the program. It is a beautiful look at something, you know, just a part of our lives that we kind of just consider there. Maybe we take for granted, but it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's global. Talk a little bit about the making of it, sort of the inspiration of it, and kind of presenting dogs in this way. Well, my partner on the show, Amy Berg, and I identified that there's there's a lot of dog shows out there, but they're more Animal Planet or National Geographic shows, which are great, and there's nothing wrong with those shows, but they're not cinematic storytelling. They're not stories about characters going on journeys with dogs. And there's no show out there where every episode felt like a movie starring a human being and a dog, but in, in documentary format. And so we scoured the world to find those stories happening in real time so we could watch those relationships and we could watch those journeys unfold before our eyes. And when we began to do our research, there were just so many of these stories that the hard part was the ones that we were going to put in the show. And we ended up having episodes that took place in, Japan and the United States and Italy and Costa Rica and more. And when it was released in late 2018, it just exploded. And you, know, you said that I, I'd make documentary series and TV, and TV shows and you know, sports and music and history and social issues. And I've been doing that for about 10 years. But as soon as dogs came out, I became the dog guy. <laughs> and I, for, a minute, for a minute, I was concerned about that. And then I said, well, wow, what a great fate to have. That's on my tombstone. Here lies the dog guy. That's a great place to end up. Oh, yeah. You could have worse things on the tombstone or the business card. Oftentimes, we'll bring up Paul Newman, you know, where there's people that forget about the stuff that he's done in racing or his iconic legendary movie career. They think about him only as the salad dressing guy. So the dog guy, that's, that isn't, isn't bad. When it came to some of the stories, it's so different. I mean, there's a lot of people that love dogs. We love dogs too, and we're highlighting them a bunch. But was, was that something you expected to find? And was that something that you thought, hey, you know what, maybe as sort of a teachable motivation side for people here, to see just how prominent, how kind of universally beloved dogs are in all these other countries and cultures. Yes, and and also, you know, we live in an incredibly divisive time to overstate the obvious. But if you're far left, far right, somewhere in the middle, libertarian, one thing we can all agree on is how much we love dogs. And just the idea that we could 
make a show that would bring everyone together and remind us that we have something in common, that we have some things in common, that felt like a worthy ambition to all of us. And there's also the ability to tell different types of stories through the lens of our love for dogs. So, for instance, there's an episode, the second episode of season one, uh, called Bravo Zeus. And the context of that story is the the, Tyrian, uh, the war in Syria and the refugee crisis there. If you watch that episode, you'd, know, I mean, you'd be aware that we're touching on that subject matter, but it wouldn't feel like a pedantic lesson on, on the refugee crisis or the war in Syria. It would feel about an episode about a guy who, who loves his dog. And by the time the episode is over, you will have learned something about the crisis. You will have learned something about the war, but it wouldn't feel like homework. It wouldn't feel like eating vegetables. I can't tell you how many people watched the episode, enjoyed it, and then at the end of it said to me, I learned so much about what was going on in that part of the world that I didn't realize before, and I didn't even realize I was learning it until the episode was over. It's kind of sneaky. It's kind of sneaky, Glenn, because you do, and that is such a great episode, too, with Zeus, and then because I think it's just universal, right? We can all find a, a bunch of different ways where we get separated from a dog and that relationship and that commitment to it, and to be able to highlight it in that way, I think is is really really cool so as of course without the fear of being typecast you know and, and that was 2018 still going strong like i said our family's you know just enjoying it now i think it's a testament to the platform and netflix and people getting to things yeah. i'm sure lots of ideas people have come to you about let's do more dogs is is there something else in the works or do you think that the that it stands on its own oh there's certainly more in the works we're finished with season two it just hasn't been released yet and we're just finished up nice. our last episode um, and we're hoping to bring it to the world in early 2021. Oh, okay. That's awesome. So for the listeners out there, they're going to be excited to be able to see that. But let's talk about this. Okay. The pandemic is going on. The entertainment world, landscape content, how people kind of consume things has changed in, in such a big way. Netflix has really been a big player. A good friend of mine, Rutledge Wood, who does a lot of the food stuff, has a new barbecue series out there. So it can be anything from cartoons to important stuff to documentaries. Netflix is there and you have done a few different things, including the challenger uh series that is just out now the docuseries so talk about that format as a guy who's been in and around this achieved you know some of the highest things that you can but for this platform what it offers for you as a creator and of course to the to the listeners and the, the viewers talk about netflix and how it fits in well uh netflix was a game changer uh, as it relates to documentaries specifically because before netflix came around documentaries were very much regarded as homework i I know it'll make me smarter, but I don't want to do it. Or vegetables. I know it will make me healthier, but I don't want to eat it. And so, you know, for someone to say, look, this is a documentary. I want to see it. But do I really want to you know, get a babysitter, brave the traffic, brave the parking lot, sit the movie theater, leave the movie theater, come back, pay the babysitter, go to bed? The entry was too high. And then once documentaries made it onto Netflix, I think we just press a button and take a chance. And then 10 minutes into it, you know, I really like this. And what's the next documentary? And what's the next documentary? And audiences developed a taste for documentaries. And what that did was it inspired docu uh, Netflix to acquire and to, to finance more documentaries. And also, as the audience built, we started leaning in towards more entertaining documentaries as opposed to only historical documentaries, which then created even more of an appetite for documentaries. So when I became a documentary, I used to be a criminal prosecutor in New Jersey. I didn't start That's as a right. producer. Yep. And when I, when I decided to start producing documentaries, I thought it was going to be a monastic vow of poverty for the rest of my life. But because of Netflix, 
documentaries just absolutely exploded, and then it became a real business. Now, I never got into this because it was a business, but now there's that silver lining to it where you actually can make a living making documentaries, which allows us to make even more documentaries and expand the palette of the types of documentaries we're making. So Netflix does that. Also, as filmmakers, you know, you make a documentary in the days before Netflix, and you just pray people would see it and they would find it. If you put a documentary on Netflix, you're lucky enough to have a documentary on Netflix, they push a button, and then suddenly it's in 90 million homes. And that's just astounding. I mean, the, the opportunity to have that many people intersect with the stories that you're telling, I mean, it's a gift. And, and we're grateful for it every day. And, and, but you know, Netflix doesn't buy everything. You know, they're very, very discriminating in terms of the, the stories they're telling in the, in the um, premium documentary format. And when they do choose to partner with you on a project, it's sort of this stamp of credibility, like gives you confidence. You're like, yes, I knew it. This is a great story because if it wasn't, Netflix wouldn't be doing it. You know what, right? It, it is kind of an endorsement, not only for the people that are making this stuff, but the people that are watching it as well. Let the listeners know we're talking with Glenn Zipper, acclaimed creator, writer, executive producer of so many things. You mentioned the homework kind of brand that documentaries had or public television or something that, that has worked. And I think that's another thing that Netflix has done too. And, and kudos to them on the branding side is that they've made it, they've made it cool, which I think not only makes more people want to watch it, but also attracts, I think, talented people who can make films knowing that it's it's going to be something that is going to kind of walk the walk on the cool side yeah, exactly couldn't say it better than that <laughs> okay so when it comes to the choices we've already said it as much as you love dogs and we all do that you're not they do not define you and you're is that the choices that you've had whether it's music whether it is whether some of the history stuff whether some of just like just kind of the raw entertainment side do you always like how do you choose it at this point you can do anything you want you've done documentaries with uh, springsteen or elvis are you fans of those guys of those artists certainly you're a fan of dogs how do you decide what you're going to do and what's next for Glenn Zipper? Well, you know, I have two criteria that I, I try and, and meet, um, two boxes I try and tick. One is, is it a story worth telling? And that really just means, are is there a story that has characters that we're going to love and be invested in, who go on a journey that we care about, that has stakes, that will somehow be paid off? And if I could tick that box, I go to the next question, which is, is it a movie or series worth making? And that may sound very similar to, is it a story worth telling? But all a movie or a series worth making means is, will people actually show up? It's one thing if I care about it. If I think there are characters people are going to love to go on a journey with stakes that are paid off, that's great. But it means nothing if people aren't going to watch the proverbial tree falling in the forest while nobody's watching, right? And so if, if it's a story worth telling and a movie or a series worth making, that's when I try and go for it. You know, sometimes I violate that rule. You know, a couple of years ago, I made a film called Ramblin' Tree for $14,000 deep art house film that premiered at South by Southwest and seen regrettably. But um, for the most part, I try and lean into those two factors, uh, story worth telling and series or, or film worth making. And, and that doesn't restrict itself to any one category, which is why we make sports docs and music docs and history docs and social issue docs and animal docs. The animal docs are an interesting thing because they break across so many different quadrants which makes them even more attractive. You know, young, old, male, female, every race, every socioeconomic strata. And so in, in the last couple of years, and some, a lot of it hasn't even come out yet, and some of it hasn't even been announced yet, we're making more and more you know, premium, high-level high animal content. We actually announced a new animal project just two days ago that we're making with Team Downey, which is Robert Downey Jr. and, and Susan Downey, um, and uh, it's called The Bond. 
And it's similar to dogs in that we explore relationships between human beings and animals, but we're, we're exploring relationships with human beings and animals that were never meant to be domesticated. <laughs> so one episode might be about someone's relationship with an elephant. Another one might be a rhinoceros. Another one could even be something like a snake. And we're going to be doing that for Discovery, and there'll be four episodes of that. So that's coming up. That sounds that now this just for you know for the listeners and for the record, this isn't Glenn Zipper's answer to Tiger King, right? This isn't those kind of unnecessary and unusual relationships with animals. We we have been internally we talk about it as sort of the the other side of the coin of Tiger King. This isn't. I mean, bless the people who made Tiger King. I'm not going to judge them, but. Um, this is about sort of responsible relationships with animals. Like there's not going to be anyone who's a collector who has a pet. The intersection between human beings and animals and the bond is an intersection that was unavoidable or inevitable, um, where an animal is injured and then a human being or human beings have to take care of it. Or because of the climate crisis, an animal that's lost its habitat and human beings are required to care for it. So it, it's sort of the, the other side of that type of story oh i can't wait for that i don't know if there's going to be i want to let the cat out of the koala bear out of the bag but some of those stories you know because of the fires and some of that stuff where the animals need you to kind of step in and, and help them in a bunch of different, I, i'm sure well it's already done so we'll see what it is we're looking it's not for, done yet we're in production but the but uh well, hopefully we'll be able to get that to people sooner than later we just announced it the other day oh it's exciting stuff okay so here's the other side of it too is that you know we talk about dogs not defining you neither does you know whether it's the film or the tv documentaries you're doing uh you've got a book it is brand new it is out devastation class with elaine mungin and so talk about this we joked a little bit off the air beforehand that you know it is a book for our times you know it's maybe not the aliens that, that we know of right maybe they're among us but you know sort of that exciting kind of space age alien apocalyptic invasion kind of book talk a little bit about devastation class you know it's interesting because it does sort of dovetail with my documentary world in that 35 years ago approximately we had the challenger disaster which we now have a a documentary just premiered on netflix about uh, called challenger the final flight and that was a traumatic moment for me and everyone in my generation And that stuck with me. But it also uh, inspired a curiosity related to space and science. And so that curiosity and interest and fascination in space and science had to live alongside the trauma of that incident. And I started to get into science fiction to sort of soothe that trauma. And so, you know, all the other you know, things that people of my generation love, Star Wars, Star Trek, more independent, uh, you know, science fiction like movies um, such as The Last Starfighter and so on. So I grew up, you know, reading and watching these science fiction stories. And then at some point it became obvious to me that I wanted to tell my own story. And so my writing partner and I got started on a book called Devastation Class, which bizarrely ended up coming out the same after the final flight. And it's a story about some young cadets who are on a on a spaceship when there's an alien invasion, and they have to mutiny to take over the ship in order to save themselves and everybody else. But once they do that, things suddenly get much, much, much worse, much worse than they ever expected. And telling that story was also, for us, a parable for our times, in that right now there are so many issues in the world that we're confronting, racial justice, social justice, climate crisis. And the people who are making decisions that will affect us for generations to come are the older generations, those with the silver hair in their temples. And those decisions are going to affect the younger generations. And so now we see younger generations who are having to step up and say, no, we need a voice in this. No, we need to take control. And sometimes they're even having to bend the law or break the law in order to have their voice be heard. 
And so the idea that we have these young cadets on the spaceship who have to mutiny to save themselves is no accident. It is an allegory for what we're seeing today. And Devastation Class is actually the first in a trilogy of books, and we're, we're already wow. working on the first sequel. Oh, okay. Well, that, that sounds really cool. And as a guy who you mentioned, too, you like to make things that you feel people will like and enjoy and get out there and be excited about. This kind of book is the kind of stuff that, that works. You mentioned Star Wars or, or Alien or Last Starfighter and some of those similar genres, and they're very popular and powerful. And so if you can fit some of these messages in with that as well. I did want to ask you, as a guy who's done so much on the visual side with the film, as far as the process for this, and of course you had Elaine writing it with you, and, and I think that's great. And then also with the pandemic, I'm not sure, I've never written a book, so I'm not sure if you have to get together and strategize or do any of that stuff or by email is great. But this just the process. Was it was it comfortable for you? Was it something you'd wanted to do? Did it feel a little foreign writing the book? Well, the interesting thing about the writing process, and this is a, I think the Daily Beast already did an article about this, is Elaine and I used to date. And then we broke up while we were writing the book, right? So that could have been the end of the book. Um, And and then it actually, it's like how everything falls in on itself. It was actually our dog that, to go back to dog, that kept us going. Because I think when we broke up, even though it wasn't anything particularly dramatic, the relationship had sort of run its course. At the end of the relationship, you're sort of like, we need some space. I don't want to see you. You don't want to see me. Time to heal. But after, you know, a couple months, we, we did stop writing the book. Elaine was like, can I come see the dog? I'm kind of miss the dog. Don't miss you, but I do miss the dog. <laughs> and uh, and so she'd come over to see Anthony, our dog, and um, and then that enabled us to start writing again. And the book is actually dedicated to Anthony and uh, and our fathers. And uh, and so Anthony definitely saved the book. And then in terms of how we did it, we we always even when we were together and even after we broke up. It wasn't a situation where we were like sitting at the kitchen table with like laptops, you know, facing one another like we were playing Battleship. <laughs> it was, you know, I would write a chapter, I would email it to her, she would tweak it, send it back to me, she'd write a chapter, send it to me, I tweak it, send it back to her. And so it was sort of that volley and that went back and forth for, you know, it wasn't just over the pandemic, it was years. Um, and it took a long time to develop the world. It is a trilogy, and so there were ideas that we would take, and we'd say, okay, this is great, but we have to take and put it to one side, because that should be in book two or book three. So it's hard to have a sense of like when book one really started and where it really ended in terms of the time frame, but all in, so far, we've worked on this for, for multiple, multiple years. Wow. Oh, see, it, it does really come full circle. I hope all the interviews aren't just like this. You've got a relationship that turns into a book that turns into three books that almost goes by the wayside, but is saved by who else? Anthony, the dog, right? I think this is yeah. another episode. Figure some way to kind of do that in the next season of the documentary dogs. We're going to have links for all of this stuff up at WGNRadio.com and uh, for, for all the different projects, you know, with the Challenger that is out on Netflix now with, uh, of course, dogs, which people have been enjoying for a couple of years now as we, as we look forward to that next season coming out very soon and then all of those different projects in the book that people can get immediately and we'll have links up at the station site as well so as we let you go well thanks glenn i can't i don't know how you have time to even call us because you've probably got 10 more projects going i'm actually i'm typing with my toes as i'm talking i was gonna i was gonna ask you like how do you has the pandemic last as we let you go and people think to themselves you know some people have become extra creative or productive during this time has this been a good time to be in the business businesses that you are on the creative side, especially, I guess, with partners like Netflix, or has it been harder? 
I mean, for the stuff that's been in production, it's been a bit harder. So we've had to pause for a minute and then wait for things to get a bit safer and then come up with the the appropriate uh, COVID protocols to keep everybody safe when we do go back into it. Creatively, you'd like to think that the isolation would lend itself to creativity, but, you know, you start to lose your mind a little bit. You sort of stare at the walls. In my case, start talking to the walls a little bit. And I'm also clumsy. I, in the span of the last four months, have fallen off my bike twice, once breaking my ribs and once just busted myself up pretty good. So I... (laughs) I could have definitely been much more productive over the over the pandemic. But look, I, I hope we all get through this really, really soon and everybody can get back their lives into their work. And I think everybody has their eyes on that prize. And, and Glenn, any places that, you know, social media or a place where people can keep up with all of your adventures? Absolutely. On Twitter, I'm at Zipper, at Z-I-P-P-E-R. And on Instagram, I'm at Glenn Zipper with one N. And something interesting about my Instagram account is, sometime during the pandemic, instead of posting sort of stuff that's going on in my life or self-promotional stuff, I just started posting funny pictures and videos of animals because it just seems to help people get through the day. And like, you know, I didn't have that many followers. I might've had like a couple thousand and suddenly overnight I had about 10,000 because people just like showing up every day and looking at the funny animal videos. And it just, just a little bit, just something that'll bring you a smile at some point during the day. And then if I skip a day, people get angry at me. So I guess for the rest of my life, I'm going to be posting funny animal videos and pictures to my Instagram account. Giving the people what they want and uh, making the world a better place, Glenn Zipper. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks so much for everything that you're doing, of course. And thanks for jumping on the show today. My pleasure. Really enjoyed talking to you. 